0: ISLA Podcasts, providing a unique window into the world of securities lending markets.
1: Welcome to the second quarter ISLA Legal, Digital and Regulatory Podcast of 2022. I'm Adrian Dale, Head of Regulation, Digital and Market Practice at ISLA. In this quarterly podcast, we take a retrospective look at the events and projects ISLA has been focused on for the past few months. As the podcast is a high-level summary of our work, if you're interested in more detail, please visit our website at islaemir.org for the working group minutes, papers and other content that we mention in this podcast today. Or even better, please do join our working groups and be part of the discussion. To start today's podcast, I'd like to first mention some of the events of the last quarter and some to come after the summer break as well. So we'll start with the Isla market update uh, in May in Zurich. Uh, it marked the start of our local market update sessions, which will continue in November with days in both Paris and Stockholm on the 9th and 24th of November respectively. And please watch out for further announcement of local events into 2023 as places might be limited. So turning to the larger events, we held ISLA's 29th Annual Securities, Finance and Collateral Management Conference in Vienna on the 7th and 8th of June. It was wonderful to see so many of you again in person after such a long time. We had a superb set of panels and keynote speakers, and we were glad to see very good attendance in the auditorium as well as the meeting areas. But if you missed any of the keynote speakers or any of those panel discussions, you'll be pleased to know that we are publishing most of those via our website. Some of the topics discussed at the Vienna Conference are going to be revisited, albeit from a slightly different perspective, in ISLA's AGM, and 12th Annual Post-Trade Conference being held this year on the 1st of November. And this year we're going to focus on the trade lifecycle from KYC and onboarding to default with a background, of course, on our favourite topic of CSDR and penalties. And of course, uh, it must include the strongly trending digital innovations that without doubt will impact our market in the coming years. Our comms team is already busy arranging next year's conference, so watch out for the save of the date and comms coming on that soon as well. Of course, events aren't the only output medium uh, that ISLA have. And we have, of course, the Insightful CEO blog that's written by Andrew Dyson and our weekly news updates come out through the Isla Insights, uh, which you can subscribe to from our website as well. So more generally then, uh, stepping back a little bit on the first half of 22 has been an exceptionally busy year with regulatory proposals, reviews and consultations uh, the second half of 2022 will be working through the impact of that regulatory tsunami and discussing how to weave digital and technical tools into our market to improve both the transparency and settlement efficiency. And whilst all this is going on, we see an enthusiastic re-emergence of in-person events, so all in all it promises to be a very busy and extremely productive second half of the year. So let's get stuck into the updates, and let's start with David Schoen summarising Isla's digital projects over the past quarter. Over to you,
2: David. Thanks, Adrian. Hi, I'm David Schoen, Director of Market Infrastructure and Technology here at Isla, and I will be giving you your digital update for the quarter. Um, So a bit like the weather in mid-July, the space has been very hot this quarter. Um, There's been a lot going on, so um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the CDM. A little bit about digital assets a little bit about document digitization um, which are the th- sort of three main areas that fall into our digital strategy so from a CDM point of view um, as per the last update we employed Chris Rainer, um to uh, further our working group efforts and develop the model for ISLA. He's completed the work with the working group on extendables and evergreens based on our MCA that work is currently going through the architecture review committee in order to be contributed to the model uh, the, the whole the core CDM model and um, so that will appear in the model middle of quarter three hopefully the working group is now looking at uh, re-rates and other lifecycle events as they get prioritized by that group in an agile fashion if you want to be part of that prioritization then please um, come online and join the group. We have a second working group dedicated to the CDM um, specifically around tr- trade negotiation. So we have a number of our member firms who specialize in that who are currently looking at standardizing the trade negotiation workflow. They are iterating through that workflow now um, and once that logical model is complete we will they will code it up and we will, again that will become another contribution to the model this year. Hopefully we will see some of these firms implement that standard model in production towards the end of the year ahead of a potential CDM showcase that we will have with ICMA and ISDA. In a similar vein you may have noticed that Chris and I recently went out to Frankfurt to visit one of our members DECA and their Swiat enterprise blockchain platform um, that was on social media. We will be working with them uh, over the, the coming months To look at a production implementation uh, early next year building on some of the work that their trading working group has started uh, but also around making the CDM model blockchain friendly so watch this space and finally um, on the CDM front we are coming to the end of our RFP process for selecting a third party repository all of the responses have come in and we are due to give a decision and communicate to the applicant successful or not by the 31st of July so again watch out for further press releases on that switching to digital assets then at member request through the digital steering group we started a digital asset working group in May we've had three sessions of that there is a subgroup within that set of firms who are looking at producing a document around tokenized traditional assets used as collateral and the pragmatic and practical considerations that firms need to take um, if they look if they're looking to use those sorts of assets in that way Uh, this will just be the first of many documents as we go through the menagerie of digital asset types looking at not just legal and regulatory considerations at least at a high level but also operational considerations um, opportunities and threats so that our members can have a holistic view of what they may be getting into At a slightly more basic level we published some briefing notes which explained or aim to explain concepts in a short simple fashion so we published three earlier this quarter on smart contracts DLT and blockchain um, so if you've heard those words and still aren't quite sure what they are go online and uh, read our publications hopefully those explanations with some real-world analogies will help I hope to continue that series in the second half of the year so again watch out for notices that they have been published we received support from our board at the end of quarter two to further our work in the digital asset sphere and we are currently undergoing an RFQ process with some legal firms in order to get a high level analysis of how the GMSLA may need to be updated either amended or extended in order to cater for the digi- different digital asset types that are out there including digital cash. Um, that posting exercise will allow us to come to our working groups. The legal working group and our digital asset working group prioritize with our members in what order we tackle the in-depth legal and regulatory work needed over the coming years this really sort of represents our formal start into this journey where we are seeking to ensure that our master agreement remains relevant with these new asset types and enable our membership to enter the institutional digital asset space finally in the digital asset space there's obviously a lot of crossover with upcoming regulation a lot of the new, a lot of the regulations in the digital space are focused on digital assets whether they be stable coins or other crypto asset types charlie will be discussing that in more detail later in this podcast so our final pillar then is doc digitization we've been quite quiet on that front this year um, at the end of last year that the work was not as much of a priority as some of the other cdm work um, that we have discussed end of quarter two board meeting, we got support to f- pick that work up again to digitise our closed library and the GMSLA. So again, we are going through a process defining how that that will happen over the coming months um, and who it is that we need to work with. So watch for an announcement of a working group co- uh, creation and how you can get involved in that. But the it it, it, it is increasingly clear that the value. For the CDM, but also um, in terms of contractual smart legal contracts, require digital documentation. So, we are progressing or we plan to progress that work in the second half of this year. That concludes my updates. So, in summary, we have two CDM working groups out there, one digital asset working group out there, and there is, continues to be, the crypto cafe for crypto asset enthusiasts. We've had quite a few guest speakers this year um, who are very interesting and happy to engage in topics, not just on the institutional side. So if you're interested again, please sign up um, on the website to any of these working groups and get involved um, or drop me a line. I'd be happy to hear from you. Back to you. David.
1: Some interesting points being raised in there. And I can see that there are going to be discussions uh, about such interesting things as centralised versus decentralised perhaps in incoming conferences. Uh, For instance, no will distributed ledgers change the architecture of financial markets as we discussed some years ago when we were going through um, panel discussions on blockchain. Uh, Next I'd like to turn our attention to legal matters and give you an update on, on what's happening in that area. So starting with the 2022 netting opinions, The majority of the 22 netting opinions have been released, and planning will start on the 2023 opinions exercise. A full list of jurisdictions and counterpart coverage is available via the ISLA netting matrix, which can be found on the ISLA website. Updates to the existing opinions, expansion of the MCA coverage and additional jurisdiction coverage will be considered and discussed in the opinions working group. If you're not a member of this group and would like to join these discussions, please do look at the ISLA website and you can join uh, those working groups there. So moving on to the documentation developments, and just starting with the developments related to the GMSLA 2018 Pledge Documentation Suite, work to add a Japanese security interest arrangement into the existing documentation suite from Clifford Chance is now underway. Each collateral manager has been provided with the project scope and we're in the process of scheduling individual calls with Clifford Chance to run through each provider's account structures. Following the addition of the PASLA annexes to the ISLA documentation suite, ISLA and PASLA have appointed council to draft a Thailand annex to the GMSLA. We're expecting the first draft for review towards the end of August we're aiming to publish around that time, perhaps in September. The completed annex will be made available to ISLA and PASLA members, of course. The next area I wanted to focus on actually is regulations, regulatory updates. And before we do, I wanted to have a a, a quick focus on the market practice steering group. As you know, within that group, it's uh, one of its main mandates is to look at best practices. And there are a couple of things that are happening in that area. The first is there's going to be published very shortly a Beneficial Owner Guide, which contains both some guidance for new uh, entrants to the security lending marketplace, but also some best practices in relation to perhaps sale notifications coming from beneficial owners. There is, of course, as well, related to CSDR uh, penalties, the uh, focus on standard settlement instructions. It's still a, a... a cause for concern perhaps, or a cause for settlement failure certainly in our market and so it's quite right that there's a focus on that and new practices will be coming out very shortly and published into our best practice handbook. And there's also a continued uh, focus on settlement efficiency, specifically around auto borrowing, auto partialing and the hold and release functions that are available. Uh, in our markets so that's something that's happening across different associations and we're synchronizing our efforts so let's move to the regulatory update section of this podcast and it's going to be given uh, by a variety of people because there's a lot going on in that area let's start with Farah Mahmood uh, kicking us off on regulations over to you Farah
0: Thanks, Adrian. Another busy quarter I see in the world of digital market practice and legal. And it's been just as hectic in the regulatory space in Q2 as well. I'm Farah Mahmood, Director of Regulation and Sustainability, and I'll give you some updates on what's been happening across the regulatory landscape in the last few months and also what to expect for the remainder of the year. Q2 has seen the start of the Czech presidency of the European Council, Who will now be taking on the remaining political objectives of the year which includes building the strategic resilience of the European economy and financial services and continuing to drive that agenda of the Capital Markets Union together with some of the really important key regulatory files that are particularly uh, relevant to ISLA members. So if I start with my favourite topic of CSDR, in the Q1 podcast I spoke a bit about the new proposal from the Commission on the CSDR refit and ISLA submitted our response to that proposal back in mid-May and since then the RegTech team and I have been to Brussels directly to speak to the Commission and our main advocacy strategy uh, to date has been to focus solely on an exemption for SFTs from the mandatory buy-ins under the settlement discipline regime. Just reiterating that SFTs are typically employed to enhance settlement efficiency in cash markets by allowing participants to borrow securities to meet their settlement requirements on intended settlement date and in fact a recent ISLIS survey that we conducted shows a significant improvement in new loan settlement rates with a corresponding increase of auto borrowing facilities offered by ICSDs by approximately 35% year on year, which really strengthens our argument. And another important thing uh, to make regulators aware of is that SFTs differ considerably in nature and economic profile from outright sales and purchases, as we know. And in fact, neither a buy-in or cash compensation actually makes economic sense for parties to an SFT, as you won't be restored to your original position had that trade settled on intended settlement and then finally, we recapped on the contractual remedies that we have placed within our recognised master agreement already that are all, that are designed to provide parties with that necessary optionality in relation to failing transactions. So if you'd like to, to see a copy of our full response to that, that can be found on our website within the market infrastructure section. But I do just want to note as well that we saw... ESMA published their final report on amending the technical standards of settlement discipline to officially postpone the application of CSDR mandatory buy-ins for a further three years, which is a win and it gives us a bit of time as well. So now that the new legislative proposal for CSDR has been put forward by the Commission, we're now in that scrutiny period for both the Council and the parliament to review the text and propose any amendments over the summer. So ISLA's uh, RegTech team and I will be using this period to reach out to the relevant NCA's and the MEP's holding the pen on this file to ensure that our concerns are considered throughout that process. And In terms of timing, we're now expecting that the lead rapporteur will draft his tabled amendments around the end of September. Okay, moving on to my other favourite topic then of ESG. In June, just prior to ISLA's annual conference in Vienna, we released our much-awaited discussion paper on the applicability of ESG screening to collateral in the securities lending context, which we wrote in conjunction with our friends at Allen and Overy. You can find a copy of that paper in the Thought Leadership section of our website. And for those of you that attended our annual conference in Vienna, it was really encouraging to see one of our keynote speakers, Michael Bartek from the UNPRI, state that he doesn't see any reason as to why security lending can't be compatible with an ESG agenda, which is really great to hear from one of those bodies in particular. And this paper really is the basis for our advocacy around the treatment of collateral. And it starts off by outlining that the focus of regulation today has really been primarily on asset managers who are being encouraged by regulators globally to incorporate ESG factors across their entire portfolios. So, by extension, that also includes their securities lending activity. And what we're seeing, particularly in Europe, as a result of the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which is now live, by the way, is that In the absence of any product-specific guidance, asset managers are starting to impose the same strict screening rules on what they would consider acceptable collateral as they would for their long holdings, which isn't necessarily where we want to be. So this discussion paper really goes back to basics and focuses on the reasons as to why we have collateral in the first place. And as you all know, it's primarily a risk mitigation tool for the lender. And in order to effectively diversify your risk and have greater protection in the event of a borrower default, you need to ensure that you have a wide acceptable collateral schedule and it really shouldn't be that limited at all. So, for example, if we were to look at a fund investing in an ESG equity index, it wouldn't necessarily be appropriate for acceptable collateral to also be limited to ESG compatible equities within that index, as you wouldn't effectively be diversifying your risk at all. So just to be clear, we're not saying that you shouldn't take into account ESG considerations. Uh, You may wish to exclude certain controversial sectors of industry, for example, which I know many many of you do already. But what we are saying is that it shouldn't be like for like. And so what I'm going to be focusing on for the remainder of the year is going out, speaking to regulators, speaking to policymakers and SRI labels in particular, to try and get some proper guidance on the extent to which ESG factors should be applied to collateral, which is explored in thorough detail in the paper. So it's definitely uh, worth a read if you haven't read it already. It's also important to remember that When we look to create any sort of standards for categorizing ESG collateral, it's going to be insanely difficult where there are several concerns around data quality available for ESG assets given that there are several labels out there, different taxonomies emerging across the globe. But I do want to make note that in Q2, ESMA published the results of its call for evidence on ESG ratings, just reiterating this concern. But it's now in the hands of the Commission to determine whether or not they wish to progress with a legislative proposal for ESG data providers in the near future. So definitely one to watch out for in Q3 and Q4 of this year for our industry. And just finally, I just wanted to call out towards the end of June, we also saw what I think is a historic agreement to establish one of the world's most comprehensive and extraterritorial non-financial reporting frameworks set down in legal text uh, on the corporate sustainability reporting directive so for those of you that aren't familiar with the directive it requires large public interest companies like banks uh, with more than 500 employees to publish information related to environmental matters social matters for example the treatment of employees and human rights as well as anti-corruption and diversity on company boards and that's due to apply from the 1st of January 2024 so another one which we're going to be following closely as it goes through the legislative process this year. Um, That's it from me I'm going to hand you over to my colleague Ali, Uh, over to you Ali.
3: Thanks Farah and hello everyone. In today's podcast, I will provide you updates on some of the key regulatory topics of SFTR, upcoming AIFMD and usage review, Basel and Capital Requirement Regulations and Directives, and in the end, an update on Swiss Tax Reform Bill and opposing referendum. So, SFTR, what is happening? So, the first good news is that ASMA has recently announced the extension of the forbearance period for accepting the reports under EU SFTR, without the LEI of non-EEA third-country issuers. However, this time, instead of giving a definitive date or timeline in consideration of industry-wide reporting challenges, ESMA has said that it will give an advance notice of at least six months to market participants regarding its position on the reporting of LEI for third-country issuers ahead of the date of application of this requirement in the validation rules. Well, as I mentioned to you all in the last quarter's podcast that ISLA, in consideration of the upcoming EU SFTR review, compiling a list of issues and challenges which are currently faced by the securities lending industry while reporting under SFTR regime. Well, the good news is that the list of issues has been finalized and ready to be published on ISLA website. This list will also be circulated to our members in few days' time and will be sent out to the ISMA, FCA and other EU NCAs. Now finally on SFTR review, just to update you all that in a recent joint association meeting with ISMA, the regulator has informed us that the expected SFTR legislative review is further postponed to the following year. That's all from SFTR. Now, the AIFMD and Usage Directive Proposed Review as you are all aware, in the last week of November 2021, the European Commission announced the review of AIFMD and Directive for sets. On the back-of-commission proposal, both EU Council and the Parliamentary Committee on Economic and Monetary Affairs, as known as Econ Committee, have recently tabled their proposed amendments for both directives. I would like to update you that two of the key amendments which are proposed by Econ Committee which if passes the parliamentary debate and trilogue negotiations, which are expected to be held in the first week of September and in the quarter four of this year, respectively, will have a potential impact on our market and mainly on fund managers of AIFS and USITs. So the first proposed amendment is on the performance fee charged by the fund managers and it states that EU Member States should therefore prohibit UCITS management companies and AIFMs from charging the performance fees. It further says, UCITS management companies and AIFMs should only be allowed to charge performance fees where the level of fees is adjusted up or down based on an investment fund either outperforming or underperforming its benchmark. The second proposed amendment is about the cost and revenue split and it states that usage management companies should be required to return the usage all of the revenues arising from the efficient portfolio management techniques net of direct and indirect operational cost at a minimum of at least 90 percent of the revenues same amendment for AIFS it states that all the revenue arising from efficient portfolio management techniques net of direct and indirect operational costs shall be returned to AIF and further states that those costs and fees shall not include hidden revenue for the AIFM or affiliated parties. Now ISLA is keeping a close eye on the progress of these amendments and their impacts on our member firm. but please do reach out to us if you have any concerns comments or feedback on the topic. Now, second last in our updates today, but not least in any way, our dear and lovely Basel Framework and the two prevalent regulation and directive, that is CRR and CRD. So, what is happening in their worlds? As we are aware that the European Commission is looking for the full implementation of Basel III Framework, which through CRR and CRD, I will take you into what is happening at the Council and European Parliamentary levels. So on 14th of July, member state expert discussion on CRR3 and CRD6 review confirmed the broad satisfaction with the regulatory text prepared by the French presidency of the council in the last week of June. The proposed regulatory text maintained the temporary more beneficial treatment of exposures to unrated corporates along with the sticking to the commission's proposal regarding the haircut regime for SFTs. In terms of next steps, we understand that Czech Republic should circulate a consolidated version of Member State comments by the end of July, with a view to revert to more in-depth discussion in further expert meeting in late August, early September this year. That is all about Basel for now. Now I will take you through briefly into the world of tax related updates. One of the key topics which is under discussion in our tax working group is the proposed Swiss withholding tax reform bill. The Swiss parliament on December 17, 2021, adopted a reform of withholding tax and stem tax reg- legislation, which is set to enter into force on 1st of January, 2023. Among other measures, the reform proposed that the manufactured payments on an underlying Swiss source of income will be subject to 35% withholding tax even if the borrower is a non-Swiss entity, which if become part of the Swiss tax law, will have a potential impact to our market. Interestingly, this tax bill has been challenged by the Swiss public and therefore, it is now subject to a FICULTIF public referendum, which will take place on the 25th of September, 2022. ISLA is closely following the progress on this topic and will keep our members updated via emails and discussion in text working group meetings. Thank you all for listening. And again, if you would like to make any comments or raise any concerns, please feel free to reach out to me directly or our team email address, which is regtech at islaenia.org. Goodbye and over to my dearest, dynamic and loveliest colleague, Charlie Bradford.
4: Thanks, Ali. I'm Charlie Bradford, Legal and Regulatory Associate at ISLA. I'm going to run through a couple of the digital regulatory initiatives that seem to have been hotting up over Q2. Q2 has seen the finalisation or provisional agreements of the various aspects of the EU's 2020 digital finance package, which included the Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation, Digital Operational Resilience Act, and the DLT pilot regime. If I first focus on the DLT pilot regime, the regime was published into the official journal on the 2nd of June, Meaning that the entry into application of the regime will be the 23rd of March 2023. The DLT pilot establishes a sandbox framework which will allow certain market infrastructures to apply from exemptions from various EU legislative frameworks that currently limit the extent to which DLT can be used to effectively facilitate the trading and settlement of MIFID financial instruments, notably elements of CSDR and MIFID. Through the pilot, Market infrastructures will be able to operate as DLT multilateral trading facilities, DLT security settlement systems, or a combination of the two in the form of DLT trading and settlement systems. These developments have the potential to fundamentally change the structure of the market, with the trading and settlement system model providing opportunities for non-CSDs to offer settlement services, and equally for CSDs to engage in parts of the value chain that they had not previously engaged with if they are to start offering trading facilities. The changes are expected to bring enhanced trading and post-trading efficiencies, however the limits placed on the volume of activity that can take place through the regime are designed to test the waters before any permanent changes are made to existing legislation. A similar approach to the sandbox style of testing of new technologies such as DLT is expected from UK regulators, with the HM Treasury, the FCA and the Bank of England confirming earlier this year the Financial Market Infrastructure Sandbox will be operational for UK firms from 2023. No further details have been published on that yet. However, we're perhaps seeing a more experimental and flexible approach to regulatory developments as these new technologies are constantly emerging and evolving. We're also starting to see some more rigour being placed around operational aspects of digital development. On the 10th of May, the European Parliament and Council reached a provisional agreement on the Digital Operational Resilience Act, or DORA, which was another element of the EU digital finance package. Under DORA, firms will be subject to enhanced ICT risk management rules, instant reporting frameworks, and threat-led risk penetration testing. Additionally, the EU have introduced the concept of critical ICT third-party providers and subjected these providers to direct oversight by supervisory authorities. Perhaps importantly, those providers deemed to be critical will be required to have a legal subsidiary based inside the EU if they are to provide their services. Firms are likely to have to comply with DORA by 2024, subject to finalisation of the proposal. Again, a similar approach is being taken by UK authorities, who on the 8th of June published a policy paper on HM Treasury's approach to critical service providers in the UK finance sector. HMT currently envisages regulators holding additional powers to request information, set resilience standards, and even prevent third parties from offering their services if standards are not met. More detail is set to follow when parliamentary time allows. However, it's interesting to see the convergence in approach between the different regulators. The third and final aspect of the EU's digital finance package has also seen some activity in Q2, with Trilog negotiators reaching a provisional agreement on the Markets and Crypto Assets regulation on the 30th of June. Markets and Crypto Assets, or MECA, establishes a regulatory framework for crypto assets that fall outside of existing legislation. Importantly, MECA provides clarification on the definition of financial instruments included in MIFID II, proposing to include these same instruments even when based on distributed ledger technology. It's expected that ESMA will produce guidelines to further clarify the conditions for which crypto assets are or are not to be considered financial instruments which would therefore impact their inclusion in the scope of MiCA. While the final text has not yet been announced, the expected text establishes requirements for three categories of crypto assets: e-money tokens, a token which maintains a steady value by referencing the value of a single fiat currency, Asset reference tokens, which maintain a stable value by referencing one or several commodities or other crypto assets, or more than one fiat currency. The third and final category includes other crypto assets as more of a catch-all category. If assets are deemed to be in scope of Mika, then the issuers and service providers involved in the value chain of those assets are subject to a variety of new requirements, ranging from disclosures on the environmental and energy impact of assets and services being provided, to a series of prudential requirements for stablecoin issuers to direct liability on custody service providers for lots of crypto assets. The regulation ultimately provides a comprehensive framework to support legal certainty, investor protection and financial stability for those assets that do not fit into existing regulatory frameworks. In line with the various definitions that have been set out within MECA, we are starting to see more specific frameworks being developed elsewhere to capture the new asset types and their underlying mechanisms. For example, the BAL Committee on Banking Supervision have recently published a second consultation on the potential treatment of crypto asset exposures, which will ultimately form a new chapter in the existing BAL framework. In the consultation, crypto assets are split out into two main groups. Group 1 assets refer to tokenised traditional assets and assets with effective stabilisation mechanisms, and Group 2 assets are those which fail to satisfy the requirements to be included in Group 1 which includes unbacked crypto assets and stablecoins which are ineffective at maintaining their PEG value. The group that an asset is placed into affects its prudential treatment, with Group 1 assets largely being treated within the existing bar framework, with some modifications such as an infrastructure risk add-on and some nuanced rules to recognise the potential difference in risk and liquidity profiles between traditional and digital assets. Group 2 assets, on the other hand, are subjected to new, conservative prudential treatments, for example, higher risk weightings of these assets and the introduction of exposure limits. As these texts start to be finalised, we're starting to see much more clarity around the categorisation and taxonomies used within the digital space, which can be expected to continue as regulatory frameworks are developed. Further detail on any of the aforementioned regulations is being covered within the Digital Steering Group and Digital Asset Working Group, both of which are open to ISLA members. That concludes my
1: updates. Back to you, Adrian. Thank you, Charlie. So we're nearly at the end now, and I'd like to thank all my colleagues for their updates in the podcast today. Although it was mentioned throughout this podcast, please do contact us with comments and questions via our email, regtech at islaemir.org. That email address, like all our contact details, can be found on the ISLA webpage too. As a reminder, please do register and join our working groups uh, to keep an eye out for topics that are interesting to you and of course the post-trade register for that post-trade event that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast. So from both my team and I, I'd like to wish you a relaxing summer break and we all look forward to meeting you over the course of the coming quarter. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast.
0: Isla Podcasts, providing a unique window into the world of securities lending markets